Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hey, Thanks for being with us here on The Hill. I'm Blake Berman, joined today by the aforementioned Chris Steyerwalt, News Nation political editor and senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Julia Manchester, of course, the national political reporter for The Hill. She's also the host of Hill TV's What's America Thinking? Michael Starr Hopkins is a Democratic strategist, and Morgan Ortegas, former State Department spokesperson and host of The Morgan Ortega Show on Sirius XM. The Hill on News Nation starts right now. All right, come on in. Thanks for being with us here on the Hill. And right off the top, you are looking live right now at the White House as President Biden is urging Democrats and Republicans to support a $118 billion deal. Now, the package calls for $60 billion in funding for Ukraine, $14 billion for Israel in its war against Hamas, along with $10 billion in humanitarian assistance and $20 billion for the southern border along with policy changes. Now, unsurprisingly, the blowback on both ends of the political spectrum involves reforming the immigration system. The deal would grant the Biden administration emergency powers to shut down the border when daily levels average 4,000 migrants. Asylum requirements would be strengthened, while those granted asylum would automatically be able to work inside this country. Republicans who are opposed say this doesn't lead to closing the border at all. Democrats who are opposed fear that the deal doesn't include a pathway to citizenship. Senators James Langford and Chris Murphy, two of the top negotiators, are urging consideration. I understand there's some people that say, I want everything or I want nothing. But there's also a lot of people in America and a lot of people in Congress that say, why would we not make progress when we have the opportunity to make progress? We are making a down payment on reform um, in a humane, thoughtful way um, that can restore people's faith in democracy. And that's why I hope that we can still get this done. All right. So here's part of the makeup right now here in Washington. President Biden, Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell all seemingly on the same page, while Donald Trump and the House Speaker Mike Johnson are urging Republicans to oppose the measure. Hello to you all. That was a big lead in because we're talking about $118 billion here and a lot going on between the border, Israel and Ukraine. We had talked about this the other day, Chris. Um, It seemed like a deal was around the corner. There's a deal. But now that we have something is there actually something here? What comes next? Well, look, what the, what the former president is saying through the Speaker of the House mm-hmm. is uh, don't, <laughs> don't, don't risk 
voting for this if you're a Republican senator, because we're going to kill it in the House. Uh, you may want to do this. It may be appealing to you. It may be popular with the general electorate. But if the Senate passes it, we'll kill it in the House. Actually, they probably won't even kill it in the House. They probably just won't ever let it come up for a vote. They'll just never let it come up for a vote. And the reason they'll never let it come up for a vote is that it would pass. And uh, the Speaker does not want that, and he does not want this to come out of the Senate. So they're trying to kill it in the Senate by throwing up maximal resistance right now. What are you hearing? Well, you know, I think we talked about this on the show last week. It's interesting to see this happening in tandem with the presidential election because you have President <laughs> That's Trump. That's the backdrop. That's here. the We're backdrop. We're going to hear this in a second. You know, President you. Trump trying to get in the speaker's ear, also, you know, criticizing James Lankford earlier today, um, you know, not wanting this to pass because if this passes, you know, what's the Democratic messaging on this? Oh, we have a victory. But at the same time, Biden and Democrats are in an interesting position because we know that House Democrats, particularly progressives, aren't happy about this either. You think this is a good deal? This is a deal that Democrats are going to push for Republicans to vote for, and I think it's going to box them in. I mean, look, if you're a Republican senator, imagine the position that Donald Trump has just put you in. You've been able to use immigration against Democrats for the last 20 years as a cudgel, and now he's taken it overnight off the table and actually made Democrats appear stronger on this issue. This is the worst possible situation. You like the deal, though, as a Democrat? No, but that's how democracy works. Uh, (laughs) Left sides are mad, right sides mad. That means you usually have a pretty decent deal. I mean, look, it gets more conservative than I think we should get in terms of the 90-day cap, but that's how democracy works. Lankford and Cinema managed to come to a deal. I think that's something that we put to a vote. Good deal? Or no? No, terrible deal. So, um, so that would have a Democrat and a Republican both say they hate it, and I guess welcome to Washington. Well, also, I mean, but listen, don't take it from Republicans. Take it from Democratic senators, uh, Hispanic senators, Menendez and Padilla, who both trashed the deal and said, well, they, they are a part of the his, <laughs> Hispanic caucus. They are a part of the Hispanic caucus, and of course, the senator from California uh, also heavily trashing the bill today. So there is intense opposition on the right for sure. It's also on the left as well. I think, as Julia pointed out, the backdrop when all of this is it's a presidential election year um, and Senator Langford, who I personally like a lot, has learned today what happens when you touch a hot stove. Is Donald Trump controlling the, the narrative here? Donald Trump is the leader of the Republican Party. He just killed uh, the candidacy of one of the most effective Republican governors in the nation who won Florida by 20 points <laughs> and, you know, he beat him to a pulp and uh, ended his campaign and, you know, all the Jeb Bush, who I supported in 2016 right. in his style. So, yes, he's the leader of the Republican Party. He's going to be the nominee. Yes, he's controlling the strings behind the scenes. Whether any of us like that or not, that is the political reality. Here's what Trump said in a tweet, uh, in a post. He said the ridiculous border bill, nothing more than a highly sophisticated trap for Republicans uh, to assume the blame on what the radical left Democrats have done to our border just in time for our most important election ever. Don't fall for it, Chris. So we can look back uh, at the failed Bush uh, immigration bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can look back at the failed uh, Rubio uh, Schumer immigration effort. Uh, and we'll get to look back on this in another 10 years when uh, our illegal immigration problem and migration problem is even worse. And we'll get to look back again and say there was another opportunity where we our leaders could have done their job, but they chose to exploit the political moment and the opportunity of the moment so that they could get for themselves instead of doing for the country. And it's a pernicious problem. It's a problem that we have with primary elections. It's a problem we have with political cowardice in this country. And the the problem is you have 70 percent of the country that wants to do something about this. Yeah. Uh, But because of entrenched, powerful minorities in each of these parties, it doesn't happen. All right. So here's what I wanted wanted to do. I wanted you 
at home or if you're listening to us on Sirius XM, as Morgan would say, right? Yes, please. Patriot Channel, one side. I want you to hear from both sides of the aisle. What's the left saying? What's the right saying here in Washington? In a moment, I'm going to speak live with Wiley Nickel. He's a Democratic congressman from the state of North Carolina. But first, just a little while ago, I spoke with the Republican Senator Roger Marshall. He's from Kansas. I was up on Capitol Hill. Watch. So, Senator, you, you told me you're not a, a hell no, but you're close to it. Right, right. Why? You know, number one, all your listeners need to understand that Joe Biden could shut the border right now if he wanted to. And I certainly don't want to make anything worse for, the, for President Trump when he gets elected. So this legislation actually makes asylum and parole worse by my understanding of the bill, that it gives the president more powers to circumvent the asylum rules. And especially I'm concerned about the parole. You need to realize that under President Obama, he was paroling 5,000 people a year. Joe Biden's been paroling 700,000 people per year. And I was, I begged them to fix the parole issue. And actually what this bill does is allows the president to fly in people. They can't cross the southern border, but as many as he wants to, he can fly to a city near you. So you just mentioned Donald Trump. I did. (laughs) Um, What would you say to those who say, you know what? Republicans are just crying wolf. It's the boy who cried wolf, right? We had heard, we need to do something, we need to do something, we need to do something at the border. Now there's a bill, and you're saying, well, wait a minute. Donald Trump. Yeah, you know, so my top priority the last year was to secure the border. They did not give me a bill that secures the border. It actually makes the border worse. Elections have consequences. What we know is Joe Biden's goal every day is he has as many people across the border, legally or illegally as he can. Donald Trump's going to shut the border down the first day. They, they both, whoever the president has the authority, the ability to close if, it down right now. But if, he's, if he wins the election, right? Right. That's he wouldn't be into office until 11 months from now. So how do you fix the status quo between now and then if, if you're going to vote this thing down? Right. Well, that, that's why it's on the backs of Joe Biden right now and Chuck Schumer, that they did not come close enough to the middle to actually secure the border. What they've given us is something that's going to make the border less secure, that more people are going to get across the border. And, and again, he, he, left, he lets asylum be even worse. You, you said you're, you're not a hell no. Maybe you could be persuaded. It, what, would, what, would need to take, what would need to happen for you to move in that direction? It would take a, a very rigorous amendment process. The bill as written, I'm a hell no. Okay. no so maybe this is really when negotiations start. We'll see. But if this is the bill that we're voting on, then I'm done. We, ha- we would have to have a vigorous amendment process. Mitch McConnell, there are calls for him to no longer lead Senate Republicans? Are those calls misguided? Listen, um, Mitch McConnell's one of the most skilled uh, logisticians that I've ever met in my life. Being able to keep the majority off their, off their feet constantly with his maneuvers right now. Uh, he's one of the most, if not the most brilliant political mind I've ever met. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm supporting you know, whoever the head coach is, and he's our head coach right now. All right. Thank you, sir. Appreciate the time. Okay. All right, Senator Roger Marshall from earlier today. I told you I wanted you to hear from both sides. That was a Republican senator. Joining us now is a Democratic congressman from North Carolina, Wiley Wiley Nickel. He is also a member of the Problem Solvers Caucus. Congressman, thanks for being back here on the Hill. Appreciate the time. Um, You are a yes, I believe, on this bill. Tell me why and what would you say to, to folks like Senator Marshall here in Washington? I I tell Senator Marshall, I'm a hell yes. This is a good bill. This is a good compromise. And you know it's a good compromise because the far left and the far right hate it. 
this, that's what I came here to Washington to do. That's what the American people expect of us, is to get things done. And the only way we're going to do it in this Congress is if we work across the aisle. This is a good product that gets border security, reforms a broken immigration system, and it helps support our allies in Taiwan, Israel, and Ukraine. What about it that excites you the most? I, I know you say if it, if it makes both sides upset, in your view, that's a good thing, and, and there's an argument for that. But when you look at this and when you dig into it, what do you say, you know what, that gets it right? Yeah, I mean, a lot of, a lot of the bills that I've worked on are part of this. You know, my, my, my bill to extend, temporarily extend Title 42 protections, uh, you know, for the, give the administration the ability to, to, in, to put Title 42 out there to you know, stop the flow of folks at the border is in the, in the bill. But I think we really need to talk about Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine is at the point of, of being able to run out of bullets very soon if we don't stand with our ally. Gift wrapping Ukraine and handing it over to Putin would be one of the greatest foreign policy disasters in our nation's history. So, we got to do so that, and that, this bill includes that. So what about that? And what would you say to folks who say, you know what, $60 billion for Ukraine, that's 3x the southern border. What about prioritizing our issues yeah. here at home? No, it, you know, let's be clear. It's a lot of money, but, but I, I think folks need to know two things. Number one, support for Ukraine is in our national interest. It is a national security priority for our country. And if we hand over the country to Putin, we will spend 100 times more around the globe containing a, an aggressive Russia. Uh, this is something that we must do. And a majority of the Republican conference supports Ukraine. We just got to get a bill and put it on the floor for a vote. Congressman Nickel, uh, you know, you know that the House Speaker, Mike Johnson, says that, that this isn't going to make it, that this is dead on arrival. And if that's the case, then the question becomes, what about a, a standalone bill for Israel that he's putting forward at $17.5 billion? If it gets to the point where there is just a standalone bill for Israel, would you support that? Yeah, I, you know, I think I'm glad to look at everything individually. I support, you know, a standalone bill for Israel. But I think the question is, is what is Mike Johnson going to do? And he's said that he's t someone who's totally beholden to Donald Trump, Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene. If, they, if he doesn't do what they want him to do, they're going to sack him. But, but I want to put something out here for, for my Republican colleagues. Right now, any one member of Congress can go to the floor and, and ask for a new Speaker of the House. And it, at this point, it takes just four Republicans in the House to put country over party, to temporarily put a Democrat or a, a moderate Republican in the Speaker's chair to move this bill through the House. That's what I think is going to take to get this done. And there are a number of folks on the Republican conference willing to vote on this bill if they could get a chance. That's the, the issue. Okay. And if, if that vote, you, you heard from so many folks, if they get a chance to vote for it, they're going to vote for it. Interesting idea you throw out there, Congressman. We'll leave it there. Congressman Wiley Nickel from North Carolina. Thank you, sir. We'll have you on back soon. Great to see you. You just looked at me and said, hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's not nothing. Look, there is no political courage going on right now uh, in the Capitol. And you got Mike Johnson, who basically has become President uh, Trump's or former President Trump's stand-in. And so uh, the Democrats have actually an idea there. If we were to, oh, come on, that, like, but that, 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 it'll, oh, never wait, happen. So, it'll never happen. But like, that's, you really want I'm to put so, some I'm pressure. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs>
Political courage is not saying that somebody else ought to risk their neck. Political courage is risking your own neck. But and Democrats the con- are saying we would the vote con- for this. The congressman suggests, yes, yeah. they, they're saying they would vote for removing Mike Johnson as speaker uh-huh. if only four Republicans would stand up and do that. Well, that's a perfectly nice suggestion for him to make for somebody else. But I want to tell you, the Problem Solvers Caucus, for all of their vaunted talk about fixing things and doing whatever has mostly been a dud. That's true. Mm-hmm. And in crucial moments, they have pr- helped craft deals and do all of that stuff. But this is an occasion where they shouldn't be talking about what Republicans ought to do to have a new speaker. They ought to be forcing a discharge petition, and they ought to be the ones forcing this to the floor. They ought to put their skin in the game, not get somebody else's neck Okay. Out. But Republicans are the majority yeah. of the House. That's a little, I mean, I want to I get to Morgan for a second. Yeah. Former what? spokesperson over at the State yes. Department. Do you mind if I fire off a few questions at you? I just want to say, I have to say this, though. If everybody, there is some substantive policy debates. It's not just political. I encourage everyone to go look at Chad Wolf, former acting DHS secretary in the Trump administration. He has a long tweet thread uh, that is very, uh, that's a a political, excuse me, a policy analysis. It's not political. There are substantive critiques about this, that it's not just about, uh, you know, the political expediency discussion that we're having on this panel. We can't get into all of them, but there are legitimate policy discussions. Discussions. All right, so let, let me ask you a few on the policy front. $60 billion for Ukraine. Needed? What about it? Uh, at that number, probably not. Uh, th- some support for Ukraine uh, is needed, but what's going to matter most to Republicans right now is supporting Israel. Um, and because in the Middle East is where we're not losing American men and women uh, in Europe right now. We're losing them in the Middle East. And it's not just the three that we lost a week and a half ago. It's the two SEALs that we lost uh, a week before that. It's the 33 Americans that we lost on the October 7th. It's the six Americans that are still held hostage by Hamas, so- a terrorist group. And, that's, and we're only down to six, by the way, because two died within the past uh, month or so. Do you think- so when you have Americans who are held hostage and Americans who are continually being killed in the Middle East, it is appropriate for the Congress to be focused on that. Do you think Mike Johnson is playing politics with Israeli aid because it was $14 billion matched with IRS cuts? Then all of a sudden, once this bill was negotiated and was dropped, Oh, now we have a standalone bill for Israel at $17.5 billion. He's not the playing timing- politics with it any more than Joe Biden is, who just reportedly, according to Jake Sherman, said that he wouldn't vote for a standalone bill. Yeah, so there's so multiple reports Everybody's out, playing right? politics on it. Okay. Um, what do you make of that idea from Roger Marshall about, you know what, wait 11 months and Trump will fix it? Uh, I mean, listen, I, I, I very much worry about what's going to happen in 2024. And this is very serious. Within three months of the Biden administration, that's when the first attacks from Hamas happened. Within seven months, Kabul fell to the Taliban. We now have ISIS Khorasan in every single province in Afghanistan. That was year one. Year two, you see the worst war on European soil since World War II when Putin invades Ukraine. Year three of the Biden administration, you get 33 Americans killed, the worst unrest, the worst volatile time in the Middle East since I've been working in the Middle least for 20 years. Uh, And then, of course, in 2024, you see more Americans killed. Um, I'm very concerned. Each year of the Biden presidency has been a new war or a new catastrophe. There has not been one national security leader who has been fired or has even had the dignity to resign. We haven't even talked about the Houthis, which I know you'll talk about all day. Uh, But we got to leave it I love to talk about the Houthis. (laughs) All right, Morgan, thanks. All right, meantime, coming up here on the Hill, we are now some $34 trillion in debt and counting In a rare moment, did you see this? The country's top central banker commented on what he feels that means for our kids and for our grandkids. Coming up, the entrepreneur, successful investor, Anthony Pompliano joins us on what he heard from the Fed chair, Jay Powell, and President Biden, by the way, as you might know, 
won the South Carolina primary over the weekend, 96% of the vote. But are there warning signs among black voters? Steyerwald breaks it down when The Hill on News Nation returns. All right, welcome back to The Hill here on News Nation. So the Federal Reserve Chairman Jay Powell issuing a warning about U.S. fiscal policy. He spoke to 60 Minutes in the recent days, an unusually candid interview for the Fed chair in which he warned that future generations, your kids, your grandkids, are going to pay for our current policies. Watch. In the long run, the U.S. is on an unsustainable fiscal path. The U.S. federal government is on an unsustainable fiscal path. And that just means that the debt is growing faster than the economy. I have the sense this worries you very much. Over the long run, of course it does. You know, we're effectively, we're borrowing from future generations. It's time for us to get back to putting a priority on fiscal sustainability. Joining us now, first time here on the Hill, Anthony Pompliano, entrepreneur, successful investor, and partner at Pomp Investments. Pomp, what's good, my man? Great to talk to you. Absolutely, Blake. This was having me. Yeah, of course. Uh, what did you make of Jay Powell there? I mean, that, that was fairly uh, frank, fairly candid. He, he doesn't really go down that path. I, I think that's exactly true. Uh, he obviously wanted to get a message out to the American people. And in that format, uh, tons of clips went viral online. I think he was successful in getting that message out. But he's also just being honest. If you look at it, we have a $34 trillion debt. Uh, we have over a trillion dollars of interest payments now. Uh, the deficit last year is, you know, call it $1.5, $1.7 trillion. It's now estimated by the CBO that it's going to end up being $2 trillion between this year all the way to 2030. And that doesn't yeah. even account for the $200 trillion that we actually owe in terms of all these entitlement programs. Why, why do you think he did this, Pomp? Like, obviously, giving an interview to 60 Minutes is a, is a, is a no-brainer in some sense in politics, but, but why do you think Jay, Jay Powell went out and did this? I think he's probably frustrated, right? For years now, people have been uh, critiquing what he's doing. People have been saying he's uh, on it. And look, he did 11 interest rate hikes and unemployment is at 3.7%. And so him coming out is kind of saying, everyone calm down for a second. In the short term, we're going to be okay. In the long term, though, I'm really worried. Now, the thing is that he's not going to be there in 10, 15, 20 years. And so he's leaving right. a message for his you know, next uh, people to fill this role. Um, obviously, we're in the middle of an election, Pomp, or, or you know, it's about to be a, a two-person race potentially here any week now. And Donald Trump is starting to ratchet up the attacks against Jay Powell. Here was Powell uh, asked on 60 Minutes about how politics could potentially play a role. I'll get your reaction on the other side. We do not consider politics in our decisions. We never do, and, and we never will. There are people watching this interview who are skeptical about that. You know, I would just say this. Uh, integrity is priceless. And at the end, that's all you have. And we, we, we plan on keeping ours. Headline from the Hill, Trump blasts Powell as political as Fed weighs rate cuts. Trump, it looks to me like he's trying to lower interest rates for the sake of maybe getting people elected. I don't know. Do you take Jay Powell at his word there, Pomp? Feels like he, he's going to be front and center later this summer if there's interest rate hikes. Or, or I don't cuts, envy I mean. the central banker's role, right? If you look at it, uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren was attacking him, telling him to lower interest rates to make housing <laughs> more affordable. Uh, you yeah. got Donald Trump doing the same thing. Ultimately, politicians love to yell and scream, and they make the central banker a punching bag because they can't really punch back, uh, and it scores political points. But at the end of the day, the central bankers are going to look at economic data, and they're going to try to make decisions based on that, I think. 
Speaking of, you know, obviously Trump, Biden, Joe Biden, President Biden's on the other side. He's starting to make the argument, Pomp, that things are great with the economy. 3.7 percent unemployment, uh, you know, essentially historical lows, stock markets near all time highs. That's one way to read it. Right. And we see the White House making that argument here, especially in the recent weeks. But then I look at layoffs, Deutsche Bank, UPS, American Airlines, Microsoft, eBay, on and on and on down the line. What do you make of what's going on with the economy and then seeing all these layoffs? I think there's two things that are happening. One, a bunch of companies got very bloated during 2020 and 2021 as they've been slashing jobs in 2022 and 2023. They're trying to kind of get fit and get to a better position. You saw Facebook put blowout earnings out there uh, under the new meta uh, ticker. And that's really just they fired about 20,000 people and were able to drive much better returns for their shareholders. But the other thing that's happening here is there is a divergence between what the central bankers are saying and what people who operate these companies are saying. If you go and you listen to the bank CEOs, many of them believe that we are headed towards a recession. And one of the data points that I find most interesting is this idea that the more you see soft landing coming up, the more in uh, news articles, the more often it is that a recession is right around the corner. And I think that may be the case. Yeah, here. I, it's interesting you say that, because one of the things I think of is when everyone's saying move in this direction, you got to look at what's in the other direction. And I just wonder, as we talk soft landing, soft landing, soft landing, if if you look the other way. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it is uh, something where um, we now have a perfected playbook by these central bankers where quantitative easing will easily be put into effect if we get any sort of recession. And so I fully expect them to cut interest rates in 2024. I fully expect them to go back to printing trillions of dollars. I think the national debt will continue to grow. And so the best thing that investors can do is get into hard assets, get out of cash. And I think also people in politics or in positions of power and influence, they've got to understand no matter what you say or do, you are not going to be able to change the trend that we're on. And so we've got to figure out a way to grow out of the problem. The debt is not going to be reduced. And so we have to get GDP growth going to actually get out of this issue. Anthony Pompliano, got to leave it there. Pomp, uh, great to talk to you. Hope you come on back soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. Have a great one. Uh, Julia, I I wonder, I wrote this in in our newsletter last week and then bang, Trump posted about it or there was an interview with Trump. If Jay Powell, who we just heard from there, is going to be a household name and a star of this election later this summer. Well, we, we've even really been hearing chatter about that before this. Um, you have Republicans saying, well, uh, Jay Powell's going to raise interest rates to help the Biden administration. Look, like Pomp cut, just... Cut rates. To, cut rates, right. sorry. Um, look, what Pomp just said uh, tracks, tracks with that. The central bank's always been a punching bag. And we know that there's, you know, historically, there's... It, Actually, when we look at right now, there's very low confidence in American institutions, including the banking system in this country. So, of course, it's going to be a punching bag. And you're going to see Trump as an someone who's trying to be anti-establishment hit back at that. You said something to me that he said, which was Elizabeth Warren the other day was calling for Democrats, calling for Powell to decrease uh, interest rates. I think we're going to hear that like every other week going forward. Something Elizabeth Warren and Donald Trump can agree on is their mutual distaste (laughs) for Powell. Uh, It wasn't just her. Other Democrats have called, you know, were calling on this before this um, before this latest CBS interview, I I think what was really interesting about the interview is that he was so self-reflective about the fact that, listen, the Fed did really miss those early warning signs on inflation. You just had to go to the grocery store in 2021 for yourself and you would have seen it. Um, So while that's good, they also missed Silicon Valley Bank and I think, and and the other banking failures, and I think that's been the slow hesitancy towards towards getting back to cutting because they realized what grave errors they missed on the front of inflation. All right, still much more ahead here on The Hill, including Nikki Haley's surprise appearance. Did you see this on Saturday Night Live? So did the jokes land for Nikki Haley and President Biden? 
holds a large lead over former President Trump when it comes to black voters. But Biden's campaign is facing a concerning trend not seen in decades. Steyerwalt breaks it down on the other side of the break when The Hill on News Nation returns. You are looking live right now in Spartanburg, South Carolina. That, of course, Nikki Haley up on stage as she continues to stump out on the campaign trail before the South Carolina primary later this month, a few weeks from now. Uh, by the way, did you see this over the weekend? Haley making a surprise guest cameo during Saturday Night Live. It was the cold open there. She joined a, of course, fictitious CNN town hall skit starring as a concerned South Carolina voter alongside a Trump impersonator. Watch. My question is, why won't you debate Nikki Haley? Oh, my God, it's her. The woman who was in charge of security on January 6th. It's Nancy Pelosi. Six cents. Remember that one? I see dead people. (laughs) Yeah, that's what voters will say if they see you and Joe on the ballot. (laughs) All right. uh, Around the table. What did you hear there, Morgan? Um, I heard some snarkiness <laughs> from her. Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, listen, I, I, I've done an event with her. I think she was a great UN ambassador. I don't really understand the strategy, you know, at this point or why she's still in the race. But, you know, she can keep making her case to the voters if she'd like. What'd you hear there? As a Democrat, I'm loving it. I'm not sure what the strategy is. But if she ran like this, I don't know, eight months ago, this would have been a more interesting race. Nikki Haley is not appealing in that skit to Republican primary voters necessarily. She is trying to, as her campaign says, you know, grow the tent, broaden the tent. Now, does that mean for 2024 and 2028? She says 2024, but I think a lot of us have 2028 on the mind. What did you hear there from her? Well, she's got to get a lot of Democrats out in South Carolina to come vote for her to change the electorate. Uh, she's, got to, she's got to shift the map down there, basically, uh, and get a bunch of people who didn't vote in the Democratic primary in South Carolina to come vote in the Republican primary. And they probably watch clips of Saturday Night Live. So there was some strategy behind yeah, it. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, it, it's, I think it's... I don't know about those mom jeans that she was wearing. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. We need to get a ruling on that. Still one but, of the best skits on SNL. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Meantime, uh, there are potential new warning signs for President Biden among black voters, a key demographic in his 2020 victory. This after the president won the South Carolina Democratic primary in a landslide, a landslide over the weekend. But how big of a concern is it as the campaign turns its attention to the general election? Steyerwalt is here to break it on down. Oh, boy, that's a lot of me. That's the new graphic, my man. That is a lot more of me than I am comfortable break with. Break it down. All right, I'll break it down. Okay, uh, here, first listen to this. What you see in South Carolina is more of a reflection of the way African Americans feel all over the country. You cannot look at Joe Biden's substantive record and not know that he is deserving of African American votes. So that is Congressman James Clyburn, the godfather of South Carolina Democratic politics. He's the guy that got Barack Obama in the game in 2008. He saved Joe Biden's candidacy in 2020. Uh, He is the kingmaker. And what he's saying there, what he was telling our reporter, was basically South Carolina is a great measurement of how black voters feel because South Carolina has a substantial African-American population. 
whereas states like Iowa and New Hampshire that were 94% white, 90% white. South Carolina has um, nearly a third of its population is black, and the Democratic Party is majority black. Okay, so how did Biden do? What's the number look like? Dun-dun-dun-dun, first graphic, por favor. 96%, that's a lot of percents. Seems like a lot of percents. Now, of course, he was running against a crystal healer and the heir to a discount liquor empire from Minnesota. Uh, but yes, he definitely beat Marianne Williamson and Dean Phillips uh, there. Uh, but here's the big problem. 75% turnout decrease from four years ago. That's a lot of decrease. Um, okay. 2024 general election poll among black voters, 75% went for, oh, this is the new NBC News poll, 75% to 16%. That seems like a pretty lopsided advantage, doesn't it, for Joe Biden? Well, when we look at the historical numbers, let's go to the next long and fascinating chart. Here it comes. There it is. Okay, you see that? Where Democratic, where black vote for Democratic candidate runs. So the blue line is black vote for Democratic candidate. Red line is black vote uh, for Republican candidates. Now, what first thing that stands out, it's almost 100 percent. You see there in 2008 and 2012 in the Obama years, it went to at even higher astronomically high levels. This going all the way back to 1972. You can see the consistency there and you can see how much the Democratic coalition depends on black voters over time, going back all the way to the Nixon era. Uh, OK, so let's look at the gender difference, the gender gap with black voters. So this is very interesting to me, is that over time, black men have become less democratic in the post-Obama era, uh, after reaching a peak in Obama's first uh, election in 2008. Women have stayed stronger for Democrats, but black men have fallen away. Okay, let's look here at tracking black support for Biden over the course of his presidency. And we see this. This is a USA Today Suffolk poll. And we see uh, high support compared to Americans uh, at large, uh, but lots of peaks and valleys. Now, let's put on this same chart overall approval for Biden. So you can see that there is volatility in black support for Biden compared to the generally low numbers. What you see, though, also is that black voters are just like all voters, which is to say that the issues that Biden is going to win or lose on with black voters are not going to be substantially different than those that he's going to win or lose on with the electorate at large, which is to say the economy, national security, inflation, the things that are going to drive the general election. So while we think of black voters as being very important for the Democratic coalition, we have to remember they're not different fundamentally than the rest of the electorate, right? And they sh you can't pigeonhole them and treat them as some uh, unique and exotic commodity. They're American voters just like the rest of American voters. Steyerwalt breaks it down. Harumph. Harumph. Uh, take any exception to what he as said. Black guy on the table. What do you got? <laughs> Let me say, uh, Joe Biden has a problem with the crime bill that's tied around his neck like an anchor, and he hasn't really been able to get past it. We saw Donald Trump go from eight percent African American support in 2016 to 12% African-American support in 2020. If Joe Biden sees that kind of uh, number increase again, then there's not going to be a Biden president. But the, what our chart showed us was bra uh, black support for uh, Democrats went to an all-time high 2008, 
2012. That's an outlier. Though. Into into 2016. Yeah. Trump got this is and much of this discussion took place with Hispanic voters as well. Look at Trump's numbers are better with Hispanic voters. George W. Bush got 42 percent of mm. Hispanic voters. Exactly. So Trump is like when you know how Biden is like we've created more jobs than any administration in history. All you have to do is shut the economy down for two years. And then, <laughs> yes, you can yeah. definitely. There's, create a, there's it. a historic trend, though, that goes along with this because African-American men haven't produced. They've yeah. seen detrimental effects at a different pace than African-American women because of the crime bill, because of the effects of that, because of education. And so there's this educational gap between African-American men African-American women that's affecting Democrats in the voting bloc. No, no doubt. No doubt. And we saw the gender gap there. I'm, I'm just saying the normal share of the black vote that Republicans get is 15, 12 to 16 percent. That's the normal bandwidth since Nixon. It was aberrantly low under Obama and then Trump, Trump one point. Uh, yeah. So I, I think. And what it's about this theory, Chris, from the Trump campaign that if they put a black man on the ticket like Tim Scott or Ben, ben Carson, Carson, that that will make a difference for them in the general? I, th- I think having a non white uh, running mate is a good idea for Donald Trump because of the broad perceptions of him as racist, right? Since he is so broadly seen as being racist uh, by so many of these persuadable suburban voters, it would be a a good nod to say, like, I'm cool, I'm racially cool, uh, it's good. I don't know how much that kind of tokenism helps with individual voters, but I think it actually helps more with white voters than black voters. All right, well, coming up, uh, from our hill to potentially yours, we're taking a look at headlines outside of the Beltway, including growing calls for a ceasefire in Gaza and New York City's move to give migrants credit cards. By the way, which governor had a pinball machine in the governor's mansion? Other side of the break when the hill returns. Ashley Banfield hunts down the truth in true crime. Banfield, weeknights at 10, 9 central, only on America's fastest growing cable news network, News Nation. To find News Nation, go to joinnn.com or stream News Nation on Apple CarPlay and Alexa. Hey, everything okay? Yes, I'm fine. Honey. Hey, I'm here for you. Tell me about school today. When kids can't find the right words, music can help them sound it out. Talk to the kids in your life about their emotional well-being. Find tools and resources at sounditouttogether.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and Pivotal Ventures. What is dementia? Is it the same as Alzheimer's? If someone has memory loss, does that mean they have dementia? Millions of Americans ask these questions every day. Hello, I'm Kevin Jameson, volunteer and president of the Dementia Society of America. Please request our free guide filled with facts about dementia and ways you can keep your brain as healthy as possible. Go to 1-800-DEMENTIA.org or call 1-800-DEMENTIA. You want to live your life to the fullest and we can help. No matter what, people need what you bring them. But sometimes a choice has to be made. You can make a safe one. Always expect a train. Know that trains can run on any track at any time in either direction. Understand that trains are faster and quieter than you think. You can stop track tragedies. Never try to beat a train. You are more important than your packages. See tracks? Think train. For more information, go to oli.org. My mom has taken up going to the park to practice yoga. My dad's going to a club, but not a book club, a salsa club. 
Finding new hobbies comes with age. My mom has started getting lost and not knowing where she's going. Becoming lost or disoriented doesn't. Confusion with time or place may be a sign of Alzheimer's. An early diagnosis can help improve the quality of life for your loved one. Learn the warning signs of Alzheimer's at 10signs.org. Brought to you by the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Grams of protein. Those who tried me felt more energy in just two weeks. Uh, Here, I'll take that. Insuremax Protein. 30- Retirement can be scary, but only if you're not prepared. That's why AARP created thisispretirement.org. Because unless you've already retired, you're in pretirement and you still have time to plan. Learn about retirement savings options, potential tax breaks, and how you can build savings over time. Visit thisispretirement.org for free resources to help you customize your action plan and feel the retirement fear disappear. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. My name is Demar Hamlin. I play for the Buffalo Bills and I play safety. CPR saved my life. I've teamed up with the American Heart Association as a national ambassador to help create a nation of lifesavers, turning bystanders into lifesavers through CPR education and access to AEDs. Nearly three out of four cardiac arrests that don't happen in hospitals happen in homes. Join me to ensure everyone has the chance to live longer, healthier lives. Visit heart.org slash nation. As a firefighter, my job was about saving lives. I never thought one day I would be fighting for mine. After spending his career answering the call to save others, Ken was diagnosed with ALS. Now he's facing his biggest battle for more time. For 70 years, Muscular Dystrophy Association has been helping people live longer and more independent lives. I wouldn't be living as good of a life with ALS if it wasn't for MDA. Learn more at mda.org. Every moment counts if you're at risk or living with lung cancer. And anyone with lungs can get lung cancer. It causes more cancer deaths than breast, colon, and prostate combined. And while there may be moments where you question your next step, through it all, GoTo for Lung Cancer is here for you. We are your community. For screening, treatment, and survivorship support, GoTo is your go-to. Confronting lung cancer starts here. Visit GoTo.org. New York City is launching a program to hand out prepaid credit cards to migrant families staying in short-term hotels. The pilot program expected to replace the current food delivery service. The mayor there says it will save the city some $7.2 million annually. Look, good idea, or, I mean, what's going on in New York right now? It's a mess in New York right now. I think good on New York for at least trying new programs, trying to figure out something that can deliver to some of these migrants, because this is a Band-Aid for a much larger problem that we got to solve. We need Republicans. Mm -hmm. You can solve it by shutting down the border and building (laughs) the wall and going back to remain in Mexico policy and going back to the asylum cooperation agreements. There are plenty of laws on the books that would stop the flow of migrants uh, over the border wall. Now, I've been there many 4, times. 4,000 migrants coming across the border in 2019 under Trump. How many times have you been yeah, on the border recently? Yeah, and then we stopped recently? it. A bunch, right? I've been, no, let's see, I was just there in October, okay. most recently. I went to the end of the border wall in Arizona where um, Biden stopped building, and then you could walk over a few hundred yards and see where all of the border wall is fenced in, hmm. which was like kind of funny, okay. like a little ironic. All right, meantime, as the war between is, uh, Israel and Hamas <laughs> enters its fourth month, the push for a Gaza ceasefire is happening around the country in several spots. Look at these headlines. For example, New Haven, Connecticut, Denton, Texas as well. Both cities, uh, there's pressure for city councils to adopt a Gaza ceasefire resolution, Chris. Well, I'm sure (laughs) once Bibi Netanyahu hears that 
Darien, Connecticut, or whatever. Denton, Texas has lowered the boom on him, and he no longer enjoys the confidence. Uh, I know that I was talking to a friend in Charleston, West Virginia, and Charleston City Council uh, is doing this. They uh, have plenty of problems, I know, in Charleston, West Virginia, that they could be dealing with that are not related to this. And here is why uh, goofball stuff like this is worse than nothing, right? Here's why it's worse than nothing. It would be fine to do nothing. Uh, But this is worse than nothing because it is unnecessarily divisive. It achieves no good end, and it divides people. This is Freedom Caucus goofball business in which you're casting votes or forcing people to cast votes that are divisive, that turn people one against the other, where we want them to be agreeing on wastewater treatment plants and whatever else, and instead they're going to fight with each other over something they have nothing to do with. Hell yeah. Ridiculous. All right. (laughs) Lastly here, playing pinball. Pinball, yes. The game is booming in the state of Arkansas after becoming nearly extinct. This is according to the International Flipper Pinball Association. Who knew there was a Oh, thing? the IFPA. Among those pulling the plunger, is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. The former Governor Asa Hutchinson, he had a vintage machine installed in the governor's mansion because, according to him, quote, sometimes after a mentally exhausting day, you can play some pinball, and it can be relaxing and entertaining. Last thoughts around the panel. If you were the governor, you'd have what in the mansion? A bourbon tasting. No, 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 no. I live in Tennessee. There, there you go. What are you putting in the mansion? Espresso machine. <laughs> I'm sober. Come on. We got to do something. Massive popcorn machine. In the oh, governor's, in yeah. governor uh, Manchester's yeah, house? Yeah, exactly. Fireball? <laughs> smokehouse. What do you mean? Like smokehouse. Yeah, what? Does that go like smoke. backyard kitchen? Where? To smoke, well, you'd, you, a smokehouse would stand just outside of the building, and you'd use sassafras wood, and okay. you'd, you would cure <laughs> hams, and it would be delicious. Oh, By I, the thought, way, I thought it was benefit. for like smoking cigars or something. I, uh, I smoke those. I'd forever. put a golf simulator in it. <laughs> By the way, Donald Trump did that. $50,000 it cost in the White House. Hillary Clinton gifted Bill a music room, and Eisenhower had a putting green installed in 1954. Wow. There Worth you go. It. Yeah, no, definitely worth it. My goodness. It's still out there, by the way. When you go to the South Lawn, you still kind of see the putting green a little bit. Yeah. Uh, anyways, thank you all. Thank you. Nice yeah. to have you. Fun show. Uh, on the other side of the break, Leland Vitter joins me ahead of On Balance. More Hill. Uh, the Hill, rather. After the break. Stay with us. <laughs> All right, so before we say goodbye, one final headline that caught our eye. The former President Donald Trump continues to voice his opposition to the border bill that came out just over the weekend. The former president saying that the bill, quote, shouldn't even be considered. I think it's dead in the House. He also called the bill a, quote, unquote, gift to Democrats. Mm-hmm. Joining us now, host of On Balance, Leland Vitter. What's up, buddy? How are you? Yeah. Um, it, it feels like there's a, there's a thing but not a thing with this border bill right now, right? A thing, but not a thing. There's a big $118 billion package, but the question is, like, does it go far? A a lot of questions. First of all, if Donald Trump had had negotiated this bill, it would be the greatest bill in all of history, Mm -hmm. right? And he was unable to get a border bill through when he was president and trying to negotiate, even when he had um, the House. So I think that's important. I think what's interesting is is that for the first time in a long time in Washington, we're actually having real debate Mm -hmm. over real issues that matter to both sides and forcing them to compromise. It's kind of refreshing. When I talked to Senator Roger Marshall uh, earlier today, he basically said, look, if this is the bill as is, I'm a a no, but maybe this is a starting point. 